This week on Kettle of Fish, actor and comedian Jesse Conweiler stops by to talk about patriarch schmucks and Tinder dates. Welcome to our after show. We call Kettle of Fish the No Politics Laughter Show. It's time for Kettle of Fish. No debates, hate, or arguments allowed on Kettle of Fish. It's like a Willy Wonka psychedelic acid trip. So hooray for Kettle of Fish. Alrighty, guys, welcome to Kettle of Fish, the fun, no politics laughter show where we chat with actors, comedians, artists, scientists, music- musicians, musicians, and models about life, love, and the creative process, and maybe a little bit about politics. Nothing is ever off the table. I am your seafaring podcasting captain of the airways, Nick the Saucy One Cat Source, broadcasting to you live, as always, from the top of Meth Mountain, Tennessee. And I also want to introduce my first mate, who keeps away all the on-air scurvies, be the producer. I, yeah, but I want to be the one who lives in a pineapple under the sea. That would be much more fun. Next right? week. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's, it is a beautiful yet hot Sunday afternoon, but at least we don't live in Phoenix. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, where the planes can't even take off the fucking yeah. ground because it's so hot. It was like 122 but- last I heard that day the good news is is there's no such thing as climate change so i mean if there was we'd be fucked but good thing there's not of course not we're we're safe Uh, saved by global (laughs) conspiracy and illuminati bullshit again yes finally Uh, um fern's not here today no she is still up in maine taking care of her family going through some medical issues you know she's drinking she's drinking that too would you be (laughs) in that situation oh you're damn right i would i drink when i'm not in that situation i mean come on Yes. Right. <laughs> but yeah, we've got some pretty cool shows coming up too. Um, we're going to have our buddy Alex White is going to be on next month to update us on the awesome conglomeration of fabulousness that is White Mystery. And um, our new I'm, album, Fuck yes. Your Mouth Shut. Yeah. Is, is this supposed to be the last one? Or no, technically they still have one more year of the 10 year yes. White Mystery project. I really, I hope they keep going because I really like them. Like, I think they could totally do, they they could do more. It's okay. They've got no fans. It's all good. Yeah. So she's going to keep us up on what's up there. Um, And then we are going to have, and you know, I do have time to read this book. I think it's really cool. Um, We're going to have the authors of How to Spy on Your Neighbor, Vicki Hooperman and Isabella Patrick. And it's, it looks hilarious. Um, it's supposed to teach you how to manage wiretaps in your home, uh, what to wear when you're reporting your neighbors to the authorities, how to properly rushify your name, all very, very important things to, to know going uh, ahead in It's country. very tongue-in-cheek, <laughs> and especially seeing how the, like a lot of people in the Republican Party who are so fervently anti-Russia yeah. just a few short years ago, now that Putin's in the mix with Trump, they seem to have flipped – and I will say it again for anybody who hasn't heard me say it a thousand times. It is insane to me. My dad, a very proper Greek gentleman, growing up my whole life, he now has more in common with Ted Nugent than Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Like he used to hate Ted Nugent and rock music and all that. Now he's like, that Nugent's not a bad guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no. Um, but yeah, the book looks really, really funny. And I cannot wait to talk to them. Um, I know you've read the book. I'm going to definitely have to because it just, it looks amazing. Um, And then finally, years in the making, 
we are finally going to have on the same day, actually, uh, which is the week after next. We are taking the week of the 4th off like every good American child. For your birthday, my yes. little 4th of July baby. Yes, I can't wait. Yay. And I'm off paid that day. How nice is that? I have an actual real job that does that. It's cool. So, um, yeah, but that same day, we're going to have on Scott Levy, who is known to everybody as the wrestler Raven. Can't wait. I know you've been looking really forward to this one. You've been trying to get him on for a while. I've been talking to Scott for about a year. And actually, um, this whole thing came about because my buddy owns a comic book store. And I was trying to broker. I'll I'll keep all that off air. But it had to do with comic books. And I was begging him to come on and talk not just comic books, but his wrestling career and everything else. And um, yeah, I'm happy that he finally gave in. And I don't know if I just charmed into giving in or he's like, fuck, man, maybe if I call the show, he'll finally stop bugging me. Probably, Probably the latter. <laughs> yeah, he definitely could be the latter. Like Raven, I love you, man. I was like a big wrestling fan when I was young. I can't really watch wrestling anymore. It got too stupid. Well, yeah, I mean it. It is a soap Oh, which reminds me, we're going to definitely have to talk to him about Glow because I'm loving that show. I'm just yeah. I don't I'm know how much he'll it. know about that. I mean, I, I assume they're in the same. Um, kind of field he might know about glow that, that although that might have been a little bit before his time i don't know it's a great 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 show if anybody's not yeah seen i want yet, to get someone from glow yeah. on the show gorgeous from, ladies the wrestling it's fabulous but today um we're gonna have our own brand of somewhat dark fun i actually just this morning um was listening to um jesse gets arrested which i thought was both hilarious and a little spot on for my own good. I was just like, oh, that's funny, but it's also very, very true. Um, fortunately, I don't, It for those who haven't seen it, it's all about, um, you know, race and white privilege and exactly how far one might have to go. To all the try. topics that bring us together yes, as a of country. Course. And I'm thinking, I wonder how far I'd have to push things, you know, because I'm Hispanic, but I also wear my hair red. So I'm like, okay, is that white enough to not have to think about it? Or am I too tan in the summer for my own good? Hey, remember that time because I'm Greek and I kind of can look foreign, more foreign in the summers when I darken up. And that one time we got into an argument, you accidentally cut somebody off on the highway and they pulled up and they were screaming at me and they looked me over and they knew they were like, there's something not quite white about that guy. (laughs) And he looks at me because, fuck you, 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 gook. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, dude, if you're going to race hate on me, at least get the right, like, at least get somewhere in proximity of the general geographical location I'm from. Yeah, that was good. That was amazing. Yes, it was. But, uh, yes. So today, uh, we are going to talk to the super duper funny. Um, can't wait to see what else she's going to do. Um, you may have seen her in anything from CNN to BuzzFeed to The Daily Beast and also on the skinny, Miss Jessie Conweiler. Hi, Jessie. How you doing? Hi. Oh, you guys are talking about me now, so I'll pay attention. Oh, that's that's probably yeah. a good point. <laughs> yeah. Hey, let's check it out. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for calling in. I know you just got back from Cuba, and I was thinking about this the other day. Welcome back, and aren't you glad you went before Trump decided Cuba was bad, very, very bad, right? bad Cuba, and started pumping out executive (laughs) orders. So how was Cuba? I know. I got to hurry up and get my future husband over here before he makes any more laws. That would be smart. 
Cuba. You down there for business, pleasure? Were you doing research? Um, kind of all three. Um, you know, I was researching for a doc that I want to make down there about eating disorders and communism and how, you know, women and all my favorite topics. Um, but then also we were just kind of drinking mojitos and flirting and dancing with hot Cuban guys. So that sounds like research experience. That's totally research. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's, like, that's the kind of research D can get on board with. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to like to experience the culture. You know, you just have to like salt the dance with Cuban guys and make out. Yeah, that, that's part sounds... of understanding the political culture. Exactly. Um, yeah, but Cuba was an. I mean, it was unbelievable, and um, you know, I heard like, oh my god, it's like no other place ever. But it really is and it was it was amazing and you know it, it's just it's very extreme because you're like oh my god this is so amazing and you know you can just dance in the streets and people just aren't on their cell phones and there's just such a rich history and culture and there's no billboards and no commercials and then on the other hand you're like okay and these people are starving and there's all this there's all this stuff that's not being said you know so um it's just pretty pretty hardcore, really interesting and amazing and inspiring and also really fucking terrifying, to be honest. And everyone so. should go out into the great terrain, as Hemingway says, and get some on them. I mean, my cousin Pete, who was very, very conservative, he, um, he went out to Greece a few years ago and he came back and he had never been to Greece, even though you know our parents are from Greece. He had never been himself. And he came back a changed man. Like, he was like, oh, well, I'm not like, like, he was a Fox News every day. And he stopped watching Fox News and experience really changed him. And I think people should get out if they can and go out into the terrain and see more of the world. And then they might have an understanding that we don't live in a vacuum. And I think people, you know, it's always the asshole who's always who's only kicked around us like 50 miles within their house their whole life, who has like the most fervent, like angry opinion on the rest of the world. People who've never been anywhere. Absolutely. And I mean, I think, you know, just speaking as like a quote unquote, like liberal American LA chick that lives in this bubble. I mean, it's amazing to go outside of the world because you're like, okay, we think that we're the center of the universe. And like our news feeds us that we're the center of the universe, but we're really not. And like, you know, I just think you learn so much about yourself from like getting the fuck out of your, your comfort zone. So gotta do it. Gotta do it. All right. I want to dive right yeah. into this. Um, somehow this has turned into really like girl power week on the show. We did girl power trivia with Anastasia Washington Friday. We had Katie on our summer of fun show from the reformed whores talking about their brand and what their name means and the misconceptions, um, on our summer of fun show last Wednesday, I think it was. And I've been, and what, what kind of prompted me to bring up this subject is I've been seeing a lot of posts lately from my female comedian friends talking about the misogyny and the stand-up comedy scene, particularly about this guy, I guess, who got called out for, you know, demanding nudes for gigs. And you're in the comedy scene. Is this something, like, is this something that's fairly new and people... This is like the pushback to it. Has this always been going on and people are just now speaking out about it? Because I wasn't aware there was so much sexism and misogyny in the comedy scene. Are you kidding? <laughs> no. Nah. I mean, I mean, I, I don't live in that I mean, world. 
Yeah, but I mean, I think, you know, listen, I'm not a stand-up, so I can't speak, you know, all, all I know is I have female friends that are in the stand-up world that could probably speak more to it, but I mean, I think like anything, um, misogyny is like a huge part of just the culture, and, you know, I think when it involves like, you know, power, you know, and that's kind of what it means to be in this business and be entertainment, and you're trying to, you know, everybody's just like desperate to be seen, and you know, trying to get ahead. And I, I know for me coming up, like, you know, I've worked a lot on Hollywood film sets and, you know, been in working, you know, worked for men in great positions of power. And the lines get really blue and it gets complicated because you're like, okay, I want to use what I have to get ahead. And we're forming all these close emotional bonds. You know, we're all just like these wounds of emotional shit, you know, um, but sorry, I haven't had my coffee yet today. But um, yeah, I just think the lines can get blurred. And I think it's been so amazing. Like one of the gifts of social media is, you know, hey, this motherfucker did this to me. Oh, shit. He did that to you. Oh, my God. Oh, this happens everywhere. And it create, creates this level of empathy that's like, I see you, you know, and that this is not normal, acceptable behavior. So I think we're seeing it on every level from fucking Cosby to like, yeah, random mics or somebody that's being a PA and her boss is, you know, hugging her a little too long. And I think the internet's just providing this really safe space for people to talk about it. And I think, you know, when you, when you put these things in the light, you know, we're seeing how it's kind of melting away the illusion that sexism doesn't exist. But is it just social media that has kind of given people voice? Because I know I'll listen to like Christopher Titus and other people talk about Cosby. And when all this shit went down, they were like, well, I, I, you know, we knew it for years. This is common knowledge in the comedy scene. Well, then why in the hell did nobody know about it until now? Like he's been doing this for 40 years and now people are just so the same thing with this. And this is why I was probably ignorant of it. I don't live in that world, so I was surprised when I think creativity and more of a liberal type of environment, I just assumed that this wasn't going to be as prominent as it is on fucking Wall Street or something like that. And I guess that's my own naivety that I didn't think that, but I mean, the response to... I think we're definitely seeing a lot of, okay, uprising and, you know, people are demanding justice and people are being, you know, men are being held accountable for their actions. And listen, I don't want to paint the picture that every guy that owns a club or every director on set is like a sleazy douchebag. That's totally not what I'm saying. But I do think the more that we're calling, you know, inappropriate behavior out, the less it's happening. But just because it's entertainment, you know, and it's, it's, you know, this is a, a not a, a bipartisan issue. This has nothing to do with politics. This is personal. And I, you could argue, you know, the personal is political, but this is about power and money. And if you take somebody like Cosby, I completely understand how people, you know, knew about it for years because this, Cosby is a God. He's a God, you know, think about what he did for the comedy community, for the African-American community. Yeah. So you're, you know, when you're these people, you know, he's an, he's an institution and what he represents. So there's going to be people around him you know, that are protecting him. And I think that happens, you know, on every level. You know, I personally, I can only speak from my own experience, but I've had an actor, um, you know, force himself on me when I was peeing. And he wasn't even a big actor and it wasn't even a big movie. But I remember the director, the producer, everybody was just kind of laughing it off joke. And listen, I wasn't, I didn't sue the guy, but, you know, it happens 
you know, when lines are crossed like that and you're looking around and I was a, you know, 22 year old kid and everyone's saying, Oh, ha ha ha. It's funny. It's a joke. It's no big deal. Then you kind of internalize that and you go, okay, it is funny. It's a I guess it's no big deal, you know? And so it's, it's so easy for these systems to perpetuate, um, you know, well, I read a great blog piece you wrote about Gary Busey. Is that what you're referring to? Because I thought that was an amazing. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> holy shit. And and it totally changes my opinion of him. And you're seeing, I mean, I saw a lot of people speak out about this club owner. And I'm sure, and I've read that, it, you know, this isn't real uncommon that club owners do these kind of sleazy things. Do you feel like the response has been enough? Do you think the comedy community has rallied enough behind the victims of this? Or would you like to see more engagement from the comedy community? Um, I mean, I'm not really too fam familiar with what you're talking about, but I definitely think, you know, it's the fact that it's out in the open and people are speaking about it. And I, I don't really tend to look at it in the, like, I don't tend to, tend to, look at it as like, you should be doing more. The comedy community should be doing more. I don't even know what that means. I think as long as people are speaking out about it, it's a good thing. And um, hopefully, you know, whatever happens with this guy, he's going to be held accountable for his actions. And um, I don't, I wouldn't place the blame or, you know, it's like saying like, okay, well, cause these victims need to do more. You know, it's like, it's not right. Really that well, simple. I guess what I'm it's asking emotionally, is, is change coming fast enough? Like, is the movement fast enough where you're seeing this? And you might have not seen 10 years ago so many people rallying behind the women who've been victims of this kind of misogyny. I mean, I mean, it sucks that there's even a movement at all. It sucks that it even has to happen at all, but it's happening. <laughs> like, right, I, right. I, I choose to be an optimist. And it's like, well, thank God it's fucking happening at all. And I do, I mean... Again, like, I can only speak from my personal experience, but, like, I, you know, I, I work with actresses that are younger than me, and we've, we've had conversations about this, and they're, like, they've told, you know, they've told directors this is not appropriate behavior. They've turned down, you know, sexual favors and all that stuff. So I'm, like, oh, my God. I, I guess I just, like, love millennials, and I feel, like, so happy that, you know, they're kind of feeling really empowered, and I feel like, I feel like it is getting better. But what else am I supposed to say? It's getting worse. I won't fucking get out of bed. Yeah, yeah. Well, man, that's the problem I have some days. All right, well, let's talk about this then, because you do tackle a lot of really hot-button topics, like Meet My Rapist and Bulimia, of course, and The Skinny. Does this impact your dating life? I mean, are guys just kind of like, are you kind of radioactive? Because they're like, oh, I don't want to get involved with somebody. I might I might end up a, as a YouTube character. Um, I mean... Yeah, I guess I, I, it's actually kind of funny because it kind of is the other way. Well, I'll, I'll have guys be like, are you going to put me in something? You know, I'm a really good actor, you know? And so it's kind of hard because I'm like, yeah, I use my life for material, but I also like don't want to like film my entire sex life. And so I think it's kind of hard sometimes when you do blur the lines, you know, um, but yeah, I mean, I've had guys before be like, well, either you date me or you don't, you know, or you're not allowed to use me for any material and stuff. And I'm like, well, I can't really make that promise, you know. Um, Do you examine your work? How good 
Like, do you go back Sorry. and look at stuff? Do you examine your work? Are you very introspective? Do you go back and go, man, I know that was really open and vulnerable, but I could have done more. Or do you go, ooh, I wish I wouldn't have gave so much? Or do you just create and then move on to the next project and don't really look back? Um, honestly, I think it's like an ever-changing process. Um, I think it's important, you know, exactly how you said so well. It's like it's important for me to look back sometimes just so I can kind of see where the line is. And there have been experiences where I'm like, oh, man, like that was kind of – that was too therapy. That was too much. I wish I had some more distance from that before I went there, you know. And um, thank God for anxiety and panic attacks, shout out, because that kind of usually helps tell me, like, okay, maybe I pushed it a little too much. Um, and But, you know, for me, it's important to just keep going and to keep putting it back into the work. And, you know, if I have regrets, if I didn't have regrets and everything I made was amazing, I mean, I would fucking die. That'd be so boring. I mean, there'd be nothing left to do. So I definitely just try to keep going and keep putting the questions back into the work. Right on. And I mean, yeah, and that's what I was kind of thinking when I'm watching it. It's not so much are you having regrets, but are which side of the line are you falling on? Is it I'm like I'm exposing myself too much or I should have pushed it further? Um, I mean, I don't really have. Are you asking about like a specific situation? No, I mean, just in general, because you're a fascinating person to me. And I like I, I said, know, I went I'm down so the fascinating. You are fascinating because you give so much of yourself. And I know every comedian makes himself vulnerable and, you know, through their work. But you've talked about issues that are really personal. And I just wonder sometimes, you know, when I'm watching it, the running thing through my head is like, wow, man, like, does she look back and go, ooh, I got so into the work. I really wish I wouldn't have told so much about my private life. Or does she look at it and go, you know what, man, I could have done more. I, I should, I like, I, I was holding back. So do you feel like you're holding back on these? Or do you feel like, oh, I'm just kind of a geyser. I'm just kind of gushing out creativity and not caring how much of myself I give the universe. You know, I really don't look at it as, and it's been a process, but I really don't look at it as just like putting myself out there. I mean, I'm obviously I'm dealing with very personal things, but I'm not, I'm not like a YouTuber just doing video confessionals. Like I really put a lot of time and thought into the scripts that I write and the topics topics that I cover and how I cover them and how I film them and how I set things up. And, you know, my goal is like, I want to, I want to tell a good fucking story. Is it a good story? It doesn't matter if it's based on my life or the, I mean, or if it's personal. So I feel like I have that separation where like I go to therapy, you know, I actually go to therapy. I don't make my work, my therapy. I mean, I, I really try hard not to, um, because that's not really what it's about for me. And I don't really have regrets about, oh, my God, I didn't, I didn't push it farther enough. I mean, I definitely have regrets. Well, I don't know. <laughs> okay. I mean, that's kind of what I wanted to know. <laughs> Let's move on to Smucks because we don't have too much time left. And, okay, so you've got this podcast, Smucks. You bring on people who are at least outwardly seem like complete fucking monsters. They're people that are very well known, mostly through the internet. And it's a brilliant, brilliant concept for a show. And I also think on your part, it's got to be a little bit terrifying to do a, a product where you're taking on, to do content where you're taking on a Martin Scarelli. I mean, that seems like it's got to be a terrifying endeavor to me. Yeah, the Martin interview was really scary. I mean, when we kind of thought up, my producer, um, Alyssa, and I thought up the podcast, it was, we were going to be like, let's talk to murderers, let's talk to pedophiles, like, let's get Charles Manson, you know, and then we kind of 
started doing a little research and a little soul searching and we were like, okay, well, what are like the modern day villains? And, you know, Screlly kind of popped up into our head as somebody that, you know, he's done terrible things, but some people totally love him. And um, it's very controversial. It's very internet, you know, he's very internet famous. Um, so yeah, he was the first guest that we booked and it was totally fucking terrifying. I mean, I was, I was really, because I started getting kind of obsessed with him because I was doing all this research trying to learn about, you know, the fucking pharmaceutical industry and all his tax evasion. And you all this stared stuff. into so, the um, abyss and it stared back, huh? Yeah. And it stared back. Um, and it looked like a Martin Scarelli and it was really scary. And yeah, that's why I, ha- I had that dream about him. I mean, it was, and that was kind of the fun thing about doing a podcast is that we didn't really know what the fuck was going to happen. I mean, it was a documentary. Well, and you know, so I'm sitting here and I, I'm listening to, I listened to a couple different interviews with you and read a couple different interviews. And I know you've gotten some negative feedback about not pushing hard enough or not being critical enough. And I know you've already spoken to those points. So let me kind of flip this on its head and ask you this, because we're in a time period, like I feel like we're hate, um, the alt-right, you know, Trumpism, all these horrible things are being fucking conspiracy theories. Oh my God, conspiracy theories are being mainstreamed. Do you worry by bringing these guys out, guys and girls out, by bringing these horrible people out, and by having people listen to them and like, oh, wow, I actually have empathy for this guy or girl, where before I just saw him as this one-sided, like you said, internet villain. Do you worry about normalizing this kind of behavior by doing that? Is that a concern you have going in, is like normalizing these types of people? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. But um and, and that's something we definitely thought a lot about going into the show. I mean, we were thinking about you know, we were talking to the head of the KKK chapter in San Bernardino, you know, and um, <laughs> my mom was like, absolutely not, which was, thank you, mom. It was a good idea. Good um, call. But yeah, well, I mean, it was interesting because we started before the election, you know, so people were wow. kind of laughing about alt-right and the KKK, and then it just has become, you know, a real, not that it wasn't always real, but um, more just in the lexicon, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I just think it's, that's a very binary way to look at it. It's like, Either they're horrible people who don't deserve to live or, you know, I'm making them into saints and normalizing them. And I just think that's kind of what the show is about. I mean, it's a lot more complicated from that. I mean, all three guests all did things that maybe I don't agree with or I don't support or I don't understand um, or things that are hurtful. But I don't think that takes away from the fact that they're a human being. And I think... For me, I've done things that I regret. I've done things that people disagree with. I've done things that people think are horrible, whether that was subconsciously or not. And so I think we all have that in us, you know, that that part of us. None of us are saints, or I'm certainly not. So I was kind of interested at examining that. Why do I, why do I hate these people? Or why do I feel resentment towards these people? It has to do something to do with me, you know, and that was that was kind of what the mandate for the show was to kind of turn it personal and, and kind of make those conversations. What, what are the demons that I'm hiding, you know? And also it was just interesting to talk to these people who were so internet famous. And, you know, I think it's so different to post articles and, you know, quippy tweet and like, look at this motherfucker. And when you're sitting in this tiny room with them, it's a totally different story. Well, and I think a lot of it is symptom, like a symptom of the actual problem is I know Martin Scarelli and we're gonna. I want to talk about him in particular because one of the things I have a problem with, and I've heard this time and time again, I've actually heard this back at me, 
is, hey, look, man, I'm on the internet, and this is kind of what Scarelli was saying. I kind of play a character on the internet. So if I'm saying horrible, awful things and just destroying people on Twitter, that's not really me. That's my character. And if you like come after me in real life, or if you carry that out into the real world, then you're the person with the problem. Because to me, this is no different than like talking shit playing Grand Theft Auto on Xbox. It's a fantasy world. And to me, words right. mean something. Words actually have impact. They mean something. And I, I think it's just an excuse for bad behavior. I mean, this guy is like Milo. You know, that alt-right asshole Milo. He's just an internet provocateur. He's... he's yeah, but. Yeah, and it just I mean, frustrates I, I, me to hear him try to downplay yeah. it as, well, I could say anything I want without consequence or accountability because it's the internet and the internet's not real. So you're the one with the problem. I don't agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think you're speaking to the larger problem, which is that there is not a universal internet literacy. So it, so Martin's saying, hey, guys, we're all joking. and the, his, his people don't know that. It's, it's like Trump. You know, it's like, well, whether, whether you think about it, I personally don't really, I don't think he is a white supremacist. I think he's playing a part. Yeah, he plays one on TV. the don't know that. Yeah. But the white, the white supremacists don't know that. They're not in on this wink, this joke. So, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's incredibly dangerous. I think it speaks to a larger problem, like I said, of not having a universal language, you know, because I know for me personally, like when I get trolled and I get death and rape threats, I take those very seriously. I mean, I'm getting better at it now, but like when I first got those, I was terrified. And everyone's saying, oh, they're not real. They're not real. But it, it feels real. You know, and I'm like, I wish there was a way to show those trolls who are actual human beings. Like, I wish there was a way to show them how scary it is, how scared they're making me in my body. You know, wow. and they don't understand. I think, I think they're just saying, well, fuck her. I hate her. I don't know why. Maybe she reminds me of my mother or my girlfriend who didn't fuck me or something. You know, um, sounds like what you need to do is just live, like live Facebook or live tape yourself opening emails, and then they could see the reaction, the visceral reaction you actually have when you read these out loud, these horrible things. And like, hey man, look at me, look at how this is shaking me to my core. Um, core, look how rattled I am just reading this and listen to your words. I know they don't seem real when you're writing them, but when you hear them out loud, listen to them. And I think that might have yeah. a little punch to it. Because people, like I said, it's an excuse for bad behavior. You're not right. This isn't Eminem writing a song about killing his wife. You know what I'm saying? This isn't like some kind of artistic expression. This is you. And I've had threats myself. So I get it because I used to do a political show. This is somebody saying, hey, I'm going to come find you in Tennessee and kill you and your family because I disagree with your position on Planned Parenthood. And I'm just supposed to right. go, oh, <laughs> what a good joke. That was a good one. Like, I don't understand well, I mean that kind of mentality. Totally, totally. And, and, but I mean, I think back to the Martin thing, it's super interesting because, you know, when I talked to him, and I don't know if you heard this part of the interview, but he was like, I was like, people fucking hate you, dude. And he was like, they do. And like, he genuinely, I mean, maybe he's a total sociopath, but like, he genuinely was like, did, you know, he was sad. And he was like, wait, really? And he was like, well, then how come nobody stops me in the street? I live in New York City. I walk the streets every day. No one has ever said anything to me to my face. That's why I do not believe that this hate is real because no one talks to me to my face, you know? And I'm like, oh, well, it's just an interesting thing that he really didn't think, you know. Also, I mean, the guy's super fucking lonely. I'm not saying you need to 
sympathize for him at all. I totally understand if you hate his fucking guts and he's stolen, you know, money from you and your family. I understand that. But, you know, also I look at him and I'm like, oh, my God, this guy is so fucking sad. Yeah, well, you just said it, though. You go, he sounds like a a sociopath and maybe he is. After sitting down in a room with him, I mean, how much of this is just internet shtick? And how much of this is he's actually 100% a fucking narcissistic sociopath? And how much is it, hey, dude, I just play a sociopath on on Twitter. I mean, did you get a sense of how Um, much is real and how much is persona? I do not think he's a sociopath. I mean, I had a two and a half hour conversation with him and whatever. I'm not a doctor. I just go on like vibes, but I, I just feel like he's really lonely and I don't think he's like this evil, mentally disturbed person. Um, I don't know, but maybe he is evil. I don't know. The thing is, here's the thing that I do know. Okay. Okay. I do know that, that he is a human being. And that there were totally shared moments of connection. And when I told him that I had a dream that he had me get an abortion and all this crazy stuff, he genuinely was like terrified and felt really bad. Um, And whether he is a psychopath or all that stuff as well, that may be true, but it doesn't take away from me from the fact that we also had like real moments of connection. Do you feel like you know who he is, though, any more than you did before you met him? Like, can you separate it? And looking back, and do you feel different today know, than you did? I don't even know did? who I am. I've been with myself for 30 <laughs> years. I mean, I don't... Good I point. can't really... You know what I mean? I, I had as much time with him the interview, so I don't... I don't know. And to be honest with you, I don't really care. I mean, the biggest thing that I got out of that interview was, like, yeah, somebody can be really horrible, and they can be super engaged and interesting and charming, and uh, it can be both. Do you and, feel and different today about him than you did right after the internet uh, interview? Like, as soon as you walked out of his house, do you feel the same right now as you did then? Or has your opinion changed with a little bit of time and distance? Um, I haven't really... I mean, when I see him in the news now, I definitely think differently. I'm def- It's definitely not just like, oh, fuck that guy, you know? But it's hard. Like, I didn't... Like, I wasn't personally affected. Do, what I, do I think what he did is awful and horrible? Absolutely. And I think I would probably have a different, you know, attitude if I needed medication and I couldn't get it because of Martin. It's like, you know what I mean? I mean, I understand intellectually what he's doing is horrible. Um, but I don't know. I just, I just think it's really complicated. Yeah, I and he's right in a total... Interview- no, go ahead. No, just right after the interview, I was so overcome with self-hate and self-doubt and self-criticism. It was like a attack. It was so hardcore because I was like, holy shit, I didn't hold this guy's feet to the fire and everyone's going to hate me. But so you had said in that intro, yeah. though, like you kind of wanted to punch him in the face and give him a hug at the same time. So those interviews, and I think it was harder with Scarelli than your other two interviews, but they did kind of humanize him. I mean, even I was like, oh, maybe he's not as big of a prick as I thought he was. <laughs> but I mean, he can be a prick and also be, you know what I mean? Like my ex-boyfriend's a total sensitive, amazing person, and he's a total prick. I mean, people can be both. 
Yeah, but in my head, he was a prick 24 hours a day. He'd wake up in the morning, tell the Blue Jays to shut the fuck up, and then, like, go piss all over his walls, and then punch the paper boy in the head. Like, to me, he was just a raging psycho who was a prick 24-7, and people just aren't that simple. They're complicated, and I think what your podcast does brilliantly is expose those complications and shows the various sides of people that were not just one thing. As painted by yeah. the media, especially, we're all painted as one thing. Whether it be the group we belong to, I mean, liberals are painted as one thing, and then conservatives are painted as another. So, and I always use that whenever I'm bringing up topics like um, Newt Gingrich will come out and go, "This shooting of this Republican senator at the baseball field it shows you what psycho, gun-toting maniac terrorist liberals are." I was like, "But I thought we we're anti-gun pussy snowflakes." I don't understand which narrative are we. And I hate being boxed in, and I hate labels, and I hate when people shove a group, whether it be LGBT, whether it be Christians, whether it be whatever group, Muslims, into a box because they're ever-changing depending on who's the person looking in that box. It's all perspective, right? Yeah, and I mean, like, we all just, I mean, it's, it sounds oversimplifying, but I really don't think it is. It's like, we all just want to be safe, and we want our families taken care of. Agreed. And I mean, the first guest you had on, Steve, I'm going to butcher his last name, Ranazini. Is that how you say his uh, name? Ranazizi. Ranazizi. Yeah, he didn't even really seem like a monster. He seemed like a guy who, like it said in the podcast, had a sneeze, a brain sneeze for a moment, blurted out this stupid thing, and then got so invested and tangled in it that he just couldn't back out of it. Um, I could totally relate to that guy, and he didn't seem like a monster at all. And then you get to Scarelli, and you're like, oh, this guy's not doing himself any favors. Yeah, no, I hear that. I totally hear that. I mean, there was a, there was a, I thought Steve came at it with humility, and he was pretty honest, and Martin, yeah, I mean, listen, we were, we were nervous while we were filming, when we were shooting the podcast, when we were editing it, when we released it, we were nervous, and to me, that's just a really good sign. It means we're doing something right. You know, and it, it definitely it's pissed people off and people don't like it. And I'm, I'm just used to that with with my work. To me, that's a good sign. Not everybody and you have a season, like it, you know, you have a season two coming up, right? It isn't just these three episodes. Uh, well, we're doing a hiatus right now because I'm, I'm just focusing on working on other on some film projects. Um, so we don't have anything right now, but I mean, we're definitely interested in doing more episodes and they did pretty good, I think on Stitcher. So hopefully we'll be back soon, but podcasting is a lot of work. I mean, as I'm sure you guys know. Oh yeah. And I think one guy I would love to hear on your podcast is George Zimmerman. I, I don't even think he would be able to even sound as, as humanly passable as Scarelli did. I mean, George Zimmerman is just a despicable piece of shit. I'm sorry. I don't know the man personally, but trying to sell the gun that he shot Trayvon with, I can't think of anything more gross than that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really interested in interviewing him, honestly. I'm not. Because to me, it, there's a difference. Between him and Scarelli? Yeah, he yeah, that's true. Someone. He murdered someone, you know, so I don't know. To me, I'm just, I don't want to interview him, but I don't know. That's true. I, I mean, know. he might be a little bit too creepy. All right, let's finish up with this because you've talked to some of the worst people online. Um, and honestly, listening to it, they've been every, everything to me from damage to like misunderstood to broken as opposed to just being these one-dimensional, like, you know, the bad guy always wears the black hat type of monsters that the media makes them out to be. 
Um, after doing these three interviews in particular, like how has Smucks changed you? Has it changed you as a person inwardly at all? Or did you just do the work and be able to walk away from it relatively unscathed? Um, no, I mean, it absolutely changed me a lot. I mean, I think the biggest thing that I wasn't really counting on was just the whole thing after Martin and feeling like, oh my God, I didn't, you know, I'm just used to going in and fucking killing projects and getting it done and, and doing whatever I need to, you know, getting physically and emotionally injured and, you know, just doing everything for the work. And this was the first time I felt like where I did something and I didn't, you know, I didn't chase him down the street. I didn't, you know, beat him up or I didn't, you know, I didn't do a takedown. And I was like, oh man, like, who am I? Am I just getting, am I becoming soft? Like, am I losing my mojo? What's going on? And um, to me, it was just about being like honest and being vulnerable in a different way and uh, just kind of That's accepting. interesting though. Like, I wonder what he would have been like if you would have chased him outside of his home and chased him down. I mean, of course, his defenses would have been up. Do you think he would have been as charming and relatable as he seemed at times there? Or do you think he would have just went on like a fucking Twitter tantrum to your face? Um, I mean, I've seen him. I've seen interviews with that have been more aggressive and stuff. And to me, it's just that's already been done. It's just not really interesting, you know, but I think it was more about me and my ego and this need to just make something and be the best and having to be like, well, this is the show. And I actually think we winded up with something that was that was more vulnerable and just honestly more real. Yeah, I could not agree more, and I really hope that you put out more, because I was so intrigued listening to those, and I was like, man, like I said, I went in with a one-dimensional thought process in my head going in, and I was like, man, I could almost have a fucking beer with this dude, and the first comedian guy, I mean, he was totally relatable, the girl... Um, what was her name? Nicole Arbor. I had never heard of her before and I didn't research her afterwards immediately. So I can't really talk a lot to her internet persona, but I I mean, once again, sounded like somebody to me that was like, doesn't sound like a completely horrible person. And, and is that good or is it bad? Is it good that I'm walking away going, well, they're not complete pieces of shit. Now I see them in more human terms or is it bad because, now we're kind of giving them a pass and normalizing it. I guess that's the whole question, right? I mean, welcome to my brain. You know, it's just to me, it's all great questions, and it's a great, it's a great sign. You know that I'm like so happy that my little podcast made you think of all these questions. Like, I'm happy. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry if you're not, but I'm totally happy with that. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I think it's like this, this apocalypse theory where they said if there was a meteor to hit the world, either one person would live or a whole bunch of people would live. But it would never just be like two or three people. So same with the podcast. Like if I have these questions, then there's got to be a lot of other people that you're invoking this kind of response out of. I don't live in a vacuum. So you're doing good work, man. I really like it. Thank you so much. Thanks. Great questions. It's been fun to talk. All right, well, let's end on that. Um, Tell everybody what you've got coming up this summer and where everybody can find you on the interwebs. Um, I, this summer, I'm writing um, my show, The Skinny, um, right now for Hulu, which is super exciting. Oh, you guys got picked up for Hulu. Yeah, so that's been really cool. And then I'm just hanging out with my cat. And you can find me online. What does your cat think of Scarelli? Um, she kind of hates all men, so <laughs> especially right. white men. So yeah, she's not a fan. But um, 
Yeah, you can find me online. My, my, just my website is my name, and I'm just on Facebook and Instagram and all that shit, just Jesse Conweiler. Right on. All right, Dee, you have anything you want to add? You've been eerily silent back there in the catacombs. Just listening, man. Just listening. Love it. Love it. I, I actually am um, – I would love to see you bum rush a few more politicians and, you know, just be like, hey, you know, if you – Call me if you want to open your relationship and, you know, just craziness. I loved it. <laughs> it was just like, that was probably my favorite little thing that I saw. I was like, that's, that's the best. I would have a panic attack and not be able to speak, but I, I think it's great. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a real interviewing, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I loved it. Loved it. It's awesome. All righty, guys. Well, I'm, I'm, well send now, me a good. list of who you want and I'll start bum rushing. There you go. There you go. Fair That's enough. Right. That's the best offer I think we've had on Kettle of Fish. <laughs> For sure. For sure. Yeah, yeah. She thinks I'm joking. Now I have to obsessively. The wheels already turned out. I'm going to have to put a list together. Yeah, yeah. send me a list. I'm down. Yeah, he, he totally All righty, Jesse. Thank you so much for calling in today. We will be back in two weeks with Raven. And who else do we have coming up in two weeks? Uh, we also have the authors of How to Spy on Your Neighbor. That would be Ms. Vicki Cooperman and Isabel yep. Patrick. And also tomorrow evening, uh, we are having a special Life is Hard. I know it's usually on Tuesdays, um, but we're going to actually do that tomorrow night at 6.30 Eastern. So And I, Caleb's I've, calling in tomorrow. Caleb, Caleb Science calling in tomorrow. We're just going to bullshit yes, on Summer of Fun. Summer of Fun. So, yeah, it'll be awesome. Right on. All right, thanks again, and we will see everybody in two weeks. Everybody have a great 4th of July. Uh, bye, guys. Bye.